Wow. Welcome to John Gray's Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM. I've made my way down into the middle of a 300-acre patch of wilderness here in Claremont County. It's one of the last uh, in this area anyway. Just a beautiful piece of property. They can't do any um, uh, community building back here. Can't do any industrial park type of stuff because it's landlocked. And I think that's what it was originally bought for. But fortunately for me, it's right behind my house. So it just looks like my backyard. You could be back here for days. Absolutely days, if not months, if not years. And nobody would know it. I don't know, call me crazy. If I was homeless, I'd head to the woods. I would not want to live in the city. Glad I don't live there now, that's for sure. I have lived in the city, in urban areas. Some of my fondest memories of places that I've lived, you know, apartments, rentals here. I owned my first home was in an urban area. Neighborhood, the north most neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, where Paddock meets Vine at the Big Indian sign. (laughs) But I'd much rather stick to my roots and live out in the middle of just God's country. The peace I feel here is amazing. I could just lay my head down right now in this patch of leaves and just dream, sleep like a baby. I like to keep it about the kayak bass fishing as much as I possibly can, but wow, with heavy thoughts, what's happening around the country, what's happening with our country. I've never seen anything like that. 57 years I've been living. About six weeks prior to the whole COVID-19 pandemic, stay in place orders from state to state to state, that whole thing, before that whole paranoia, before that whole news, nothing but 24 hours of that stuff, you know. I just cannot help but to think that the tool that I'm using out here in the middle of the woods the smartphone I'm recording this on is the biggest propaganda tool ever created and everybody's got one you can edit on them you could show people anything you want on them you can become anything you want on them And this is where my mind and my thoughts go during these whole times, you know. So I'm starting to begin to think about the whole COVID-19 thing, and I'm kind of a prepper anyway. It was always one of those uh, moments of either a virus, electronic impulse, which would induce panic 
paranoia shutdown of our country, economy. And then human beings, how brutal, crazy we can be, mad. Mob mentality is vicious. And it spreads easily. This is where my mind goes, okay? So I'm starting to think all this already. To supplement my very expensive fishing habit that I have, I do some lift driving. Now most of the lift driving that I do is during the business hours. I'm too old for that nightlife stuff. You know, I'm tired at nine. I want to see a, some, a couple episodes of Rockford Files and go to sleep. I'm going to wake up early and go fishing. That's my life, and I want it to be like that. I'm going to fish myself right into bankruptcy. I plan on it. Have fun doing it. So I don't have any time for that nightlife stuff anymore. I did enough of that. Performing, playing music, working in the bars. It was just, well, doesn't get you anywhere. It's gross. Some quick money. Maybe a couple dates. Maybe a couple diseases also. Talking about a, just a gross, now that we're thinking about germs and stuff. Think about that environment. Ugh. 1985 disco. Nothing but sweat and blood. It's gross. I mean, really, I saw more blood than I did sweat in that disco. Women back then fought crazy. So, I, you know, I'm all hip to how crazy humans can be, man. You know? Prior veteran. The United States Navy. It's not like I'm not, uh, you know, aware of what goes on out there slightly. What human beings are capable of doing. I pay attention to the news. But when you start mixing in the mob mentality, tribal mentality type things, you know, that really drive people, big crowds going nuts, smashing things. It just adds a sense of adrenaline to the human being that's is insane. It's hard to fight back. It's hard to protect yourself from that kind of stuff because it's just coming at you. It doesn't matter. You know? All of a sudden you have a 13-year-old girl beating you up with a brick. <laughs> That's how it goes. Boy, if you watch a lot of TikTok, huh? The stuff that's from the streets. That's scary, man. This is what I'm talking about. This is what brings out the evil in people. So back to the Lyft driving where I'm just picking up customers. I get a call to Indian Hill where I pick up a businessman. Obviously very much a businessman. Most likely why he lives in Indian Hill. Got to be in some type of business. That's not low rent there. One of Cincinnati's most prominent neighborhoods. Big houses, multi-million dollar homes, beautiful estates, you know, acres and acres of wooded area. A lot of people ride horses up through there, so you can imagine. 
Rolls-Royce equestrian activities, things like that. So I'm always excited to go pick somebody up in Indian Hill. They tip rather well when it comes to valet services. And most often they're going to the airport. Bingo. I pull up. They're sitting outside waiting already. They got their bags. They are excited and ready to go. Making small talk. I say, how you doing? My name's John. I load up their stuff. They get inside the Audi. I back up down their driveway and we take off. We're headed to the airport. It's a 28-minute ride. Well, the gentleman, who I assume is a businessman, he gets in the back seat. He's on his iPhone. And I'm thinking that he's doing a conference call, so I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to bother him. His wife, though, makes some small talk. She asks how my day is going. I tell her it's doing great. It's a beautiful day to be out here driving. Not much else is said, obviously, that they're going to the airport and they're headed to their second home in Texas. About five minutes into that conversation and drive, the gentleman looks up at me creepishly, deadlocks me eye to eye in the rearview mirror. Have you been paying attention to the news? He asked me. Um, yeah, kind of. Are you talking about the COVID-19 thing that they've been talking about? At that point, for probably the next 15 or 20 minutes, just right before we were a couple miles away from the off-ramp to go to the Cincinnati airport, which is in Kentucky, by the way, (laughs) he begins to tell me about how this was going to affect the country like It has never been affected before. He went on to tell me about how businesses were going to be shut down. Most likely we were going to be forced to stay in place. Most likely the hospitals are going to be overran. Most likely, this is going to affect just about every business out there. The economy is going to crash. Most likely, the transit lines are going to be disrupted. Food is going to become scarce. High price. And I am just creepishly fascinated and freaked out by what this guy's telling me. The hair wasn't just standing on the back of my neck. It was standing on the back of my head, working its way up to the top in the frontal lobe. I'm looking up at this guy in the rearview mirror. I don't even think I paid attention to the highway. I'm just looking at this guy in the rearview mirror as he's looking at me. He's deadlock serious. They're on their way to Galveston, Texas, where they have their second home. He knows that Texas is going to handle this one the right way. But he also knows there he's able to support his family. They live near the water. They can fish. He then asked me the question, very poignant. 
He said, what scares you about all of that kind of stuff? I said, well, I getting the feeling that I'm not quite the prepper that you are. I said, but I'm ready for a few things. I can handle myself and my family and a few others for 90 days. I'm blessed with this wonderful 300 acres that I'm standing in the middle of right now. There's a lot of food out here. Rabbit, raccoon, squirrel, deer. And you're hungry, you're going to eat it all. Trust me. So we're good. I got plenty in stock. And I've got some guns. And I've got plenty of ammo. My first aid supplies are up. I think I'm good for about 90 days. I said, but what scares me the most is the human beings. Human beings scare the hell out of me. We're brutal, we're vicious. I know there's some racism out there. I've seen it with my own eyes. been witness to it just within a matter of just a few minutes and feeling it. It's gross. I rode my bicycle to the city of Chicago from here, Cincinnati, Ohio. It took me three days to get up there. I had a job as a Charles and George. Remember that show, Charles and George? Scott Bayo, I think, was the star of that show. For a family in Oak Brook, Illinois. That was a pretty good gig. Driving a Land Rover, a lot of money to spend. They were supporting my cycling sport. I was up there training. Picking up a few extra bucks, having a great time, experiencing life, trying to figure out what the hell I was gonna do in my life. I rode my bike into the city of Chicago. Had the day off. Found my way at a McDonald's. There at the McDonald's were the guardian angels. I've read about those guys. I've seen them on TV, you know, nightly news, things like that. It was exciting to see them there. Real life in person, you know. They were passing out volunteer brochures, you know, join up. So they had some information about them, what they did. I was like, you know, this might be something fun to do. Talking about really discovering life in the city, this would be the way to get into the trenches. Well, by the time I had finished the rest of my bicycle ride around the shoreline there, I got back out to Oak Brook, Illinois. I had talked myself into joining up with the Guardian Angels, so I made the call. This was before internet. Couldn't just hit the join group button. You had to make a call. I talked to a gentleman by the name of Mr. Fuentes, Ralph Fuentes. 
otherwise known as third rail. Very serious, very get to the matter of the fact kind of guy. Had a just great accent. I was excited. I volunteered. I'd be down there in a couple days. A couple days I showed up, introduced myself. Northside University there at Loyola in the north side of town. And the Guardian Angels had an apartment building that they held security over and they had a ground floor office. It was bolted up pretty good like Fort Knox. You had to bang on that door. There's somebody at the door. They'd check you out. They'd frisk you. First time in my life I'd ever been frisked. And they pat you down good. They escorted me rather officially and <laughs> rather military-like. Being, you know, being a uh, ex-veteran, I was rather impressed with how they handled that chain of command kind of thing. And they took me into a small room. There was the office of Ralph Fuentes, the leader of the Northside chapter there, the Guardian Angels. And a rather impressive human being. Not the tallest guy. But I wouldn't scrap with him. He looked like he could handle himself. And his bray was just covered with pins. Like medals and all kinds of decorations. And rather impressive. Had no idea what all that meant. But it was amazing. Told him a little bit about myself. What I was doing. About how many times I could come out there. Made me volunteer and walk around with him. And stuff like that. I have no idea. No experience doing any of this. I've been in the military that type of thing you know I'm no stranger to the urban life I was a bike messenger just beginning my career as one there the nice thing about being a bike messenger if you get a good job someplace else you can always take off real quick (laughs) I'll be back not a lot of held responsibility there as far as a job goes there's always somebody looking for a bike messenger they come and go A lot like dishwashers. So, I came back a couple days later. Ralph had a brand new sparkling white I support the Guardian Angels t-shirt. I had gone to a military supply store there and I bought a red beret I had a hawk feather for some reason I just picked it up on the travels there to Chicago and I kept it with me I think those birds have a lot to tell us eagle and the hawk you know very spiritual birds And so I had the feather with me. I decided that I wanted to get my own red beret. If I was going to be wearing one, I was going to make it a signature of mine. So I tied that eagle feather on the back of it. That's all I did. Steamed it up a little bit. Creased it up on the side. Gave it a nice, cool military look. And there I was, standing in my very white, sparkling, clean, I support the Guardian Angels t-shirt. My spandex and my red beret. 
my riding spandex, not just like dancing spandex, but <laughs> my cycling shorts, you might say. On my way. So I show up there at the apartment there on the north side. And the first thing they say, you know, you probably don't want to go riding through the town like that alone. All exposing yourself as being a guardian angel. And I thought about that for a minute and went, you know what, this probably was pretty stupid. There were about 10 of them in the living room. There were four, five, six other guardian angels mingling about. And the first visual of the place that I remember was some mattresses up against the windows with some heavy foot lockers. Old gray heavy foot lockers, some stickers on them, that kind of thing, you know. Some street graffiti. The only place I could sit was up on the couch and I assumed at that point we were just getting ready to assemble and that we were going to go walking around like the guardian angels do. I was pretty excited. I could feel the adrenaline in the room, you know. I could feel it like everybody was just kind of manning up and looked around and there was one one particular guardian angel who, <laughs> I don't know, it, now that I know a lot about the UFC world, he looked like a UFC fighter. He was putting in a mouthpiece. And he was wrapping up his hands. Like he was getting ready to put them in a pair of gloves, nice and tight. And he meticulously did this. Looking up every once in a while. Rolling this tape around his hands, just squeezing his hands into a fist, making it nice and tight. And I was like, what in the world is about to happen? My adrenaline starts kicking up a little bit, you know. Ralph Fuentes comes out. He talks to a couple of the other, like, uh, I guess, group leaders. We just all kind of take off, get dispersed through the neighborhood. Sun's starting to set a little bit. And the feeling, the whole feeling of the streets take on something different and darker, menacing. Start to notice the steam that comes up through the pipes, the ambiance, the train, the wheels squeaking as the L goes by. Sparks of the third rail. That's where the guy got his name, the third rail. We move about three or four blocks down the street. A few cars go by, some things were said, windows barely cracked. You're like, what did that guy just, just say? You're going to hear a lot of that newbie. One of the guardian angels told me. <laughs> You're going to hear a lot of that. About five blocks down the road, a mad sprint ensues. Every guardian angel in front of me took off running as fast as they could. And I was like, what is going on? 
So I took off running after him. I turned the car corner and down into an alley. You could see them all jumping up over a fence like deer. Now I could ride a bicycle for a very long way. I could outrun probably a lot of them, especially when it came to distance, slow and steady. But I hadn't done any running like that in my life. I was not a Spartan course event type participant. And they hit that fence and they climbed up that fence and they jumped over that fence and they were gone. So I hit that fence like a VW. I clumsily climbed up that thing and fell over the other side of it into a dumpster right through the plastic lid. Crash. Made my way up out of the dumpster. Thank God it wasn't a Chinese restaurant or an Italian restaurant. I didn't come out of there with a big bowl of noodles on my head. It's all cardboard. Thank God. Busted my knee wide open on that one. Jumping up out of the dumpster and running to the scene in which there were a number of guardian angels laying down on a black man. Now to set the record straight, the guardian angels are filled with young black men, black women, young white men, young white women, young Hispanic, Asians, old, young, it doesn't matter. There's somebody from everywhere in this organization. As they're holding down this black man who is doing things I have never seen a human being do before. He was kicking and fighting like nobody's business. Long before I had heard of anything called crack. Hadn't quite heavily hit the streets of Cincinnati yet. Heroin back then was a big deal, just starting, but it was pure heroin. Crack, cocaine was huge. Hadn't quite got to that crack level yet. Meth. Just starting to peak in some of the really rural areas, making its way into the city. But I had never seen a human being do that before. He had just beaten the hell out of a Chicago police officer undercover. As this Chicago police officer stumbles back from the fight, as the guardian angels are able to take control of this man, barely, I jump down on the leg of this human. The only, this free limb that he had was just kicking. I jumped down on it and with all my might was trying to hold this thing down. The Chicago undercover police officer took the butt of his gun and he hit the man in the head. Calling him an effing N-word. It was shocking. It was shocking. Blood splattered from the impact 
all over my face, onto my neck, and down all over the front of my brand new sparkling, clean Guardian Angels supporter t-shirt. Twenty minutes into my first <laughs> tour with the Guardian Angels. Welcome to Chicago. The Chicago police officer frantically calling for help. Back up. You could hear the squad car off in the distance squealing around alleys. Pulls up and within just a matter of a minute, they had this guy cuffed, hogtied, and tossed in the back of the car. And then there was just silence. And the L train goes squeaking by. I was stunned. I ran between two places in my life, Hopper Hill and Claremont County, and Ewing County, Kentucky. And both of them were pretty slow spots. I had never seen anything like that before in my life. I had never heard that word or term to use. We didn't tell racial jokes. My family was nothing but hillbillies. Nobody went around and told racial jokes or even used that word like that. It was gross to us. Why? Many years later, I had been traveling again on my bike from Cincinnati, Ohio down to Florida. My second night of sleeping, I made it into the mountains, into the Jellicoe Mountains there. There's an area I will, the name of the town, I'll remain nameless. I pulled up with my bike, had about 60 pounds in my pannier bags. Obviously, I was going somewhere. Looking for a place to crash, actually. I had all my sleeping bag, my my bivy sack, everything right there. Everything I needed, just find a place I could crash anywhere. With only, I think, 300 and something dollars in my pocket to spend to get me to Florida via a bicycle. My first attempt at this might be my only attempt. Didn't study for it. This was pre internet, pre-smartphones. It was nothing but huge, big Ram McNally maps back then, which weighed like a half a pound. <laughs> As I made my way into this town, a squad car pulled up next to me. Good-looking young police officer. Beautiful squad car. I have tremendous respect for the wall. You're never going to find me in the back of a squad car. You're just not. I'm going to make that a goal in my life. Right? He asked where I was headed. He was interested. Obviously, I was traveling. 
Told him I was going to Florida. That impressed the hell out of him. I asked him if it was possible if I could find a place around here just to crash out for a few hours, then I'd keep going. He pointed directions to the local little park there. There's a couple little places if I just want to crash out on a picnic table overnight, do that. He drives around here every 15, 20, 30 minutes or so, and he'll put spotlight on me and make sure everything's cool and I'm safe. And I thought, wow, that is great. Welcome. I commented on how really beautiful the little town was. And he looked at me straight in my eyes, deadlocked into my eyes. As long as we can keep the Negroes out of it, with this kind of a smirk on his face. And he used the word Negroes, kind of like in a weird way. Negroes. I was stunned and again, I didn't know how to respond to that. I probably nervously smiled, kind of laughed or something, you know, and uh, certainly went over to the park, sat down and on that park bench and just thought all of a sudden just like that this little beautiful little charming little town just went to grossness it's the only two times in my life I've ever seen that direct type of confrontation or racial kind of injustice I know it's out there. It's got to be, right? These people are pissed. But racism doesn't know just one color at all. I've seen tremendous just in-your-face racism a hell of a lot more times directed at whites. I thought it would be a good idea in Chicago to ride my bike back a little bit more like straight like the crow would fly to Oak Brook rather than keep going through that northern route. I was kind of getting bored of that. So I decided just to look at the map there and I saw Roosevelt cuts right out to the west there from Chicago. Well, unbeknownst to me, just a innocent white guy on a bicycle who really is there to help and to serve community and invest a part of my life into their world and to understand what it's like to live in an urban world like Chicago. I want to know, I want to experience that so I can make a judgment ruling for myself. I'm fascinated with humans, I really am. Roosevelt goes right through a, probably America's worst at that time, ghetto, Cabrini Green. 
Four lanes of traffic, two lanes going west, two lanes coming east. I'm just trucking along, got my speed up pretty good. Again, I've been on the bicycle for a number of years prior to this, I'm rolling. And I look up and there's a gathering of young black men. That's all I can, it's the only way I can describe them. They don't look like thugs. They don't look like hoodlums. They just look like young black men hanging out on the street corner. Nothing abnormal about that. But quickly I realized that they're picking up something. They're not on trash detail. That is asphalt, it's rocks, it's cements, what is happening. And within a second, I'm passing them and getting just bombed with everything they had in their hands. Car windows are smashing. Car doors are getting thumped with bricks. A piece of asphalt hits me so hard in the helmet that I'm convinced if I did not have that helmet on, it probably would have knocked me out. There were still chunks of asphalt buried in my helmet when I got finally back to Oak Brook where I was staying. A rock hit me so hard in the thigh it put one of the largest grapefruit size hematomas on my thigh that I've ever had. And I've been in a number of bike wrecks. It hurt. Those cars that got hit innocently, they just kept on going. I knew that was a bad move. I limped home. Next day, next day, I rode it out, took the north trip back into Chicago. I, I was wanting to know a little information about that place. And when I told them what I did, they looked at me like I was the only white man alive at this point that could ever claim that riding a bicycle through Cabrini Green and living to tell about it. I was white, that's all I was doing. Minding my own business, they would have killed me. No doubt. It's an ugly world out there. It really is. I traveled across the country with some Native American Indians. I was really, really invested spiritually, mentally, physically, all in the Native American rights, causes, alcoholism, diabetes, social injustice. There's a part of my heart that goes to that. Part of why I signed up as a United States sailor and made the oath to defend the Constitution, our country, and the citizens thereof, included everybody. So that continued in me and other things, and this was a good way for me to go from my taste of what happened up in Chicago and the urban and the things that I witnessed with the guardian angels up there. Now I can dive deep into the reservations and talk to the Indians. I want to get to know them. If there's a Geronimo out there or a Tecumseh, 
Wouldn't it be fascinating to know them right now? Well, luckily for me, there was. I'm not going to name any names. If you know anything about the American Indian Movement and the people who are involved in it, you'll know who I'm talking about it. But this particular Native American Indian who is really pushing the forefront of the causes lived ironically right here in the tri-state area. Starting to get into my ultramarathon running a little bit more. My brother told me that I needed to hang out with this group. They were coming over to do a little drum building session. He's a master woodworker. He'll make a flute, he'll make drums, he makes cabinets, he builds log cabins, custom homes, it doesn't matter. He's super talented, fine jewelry. When the apocalypse breaks down, I'm gonna go kidnap my brother Steve. He's gonna come back here, I'm gonna put him in the woods. I don't necessarily want him living in the house with me, but I will have him nearby. He's the old man out in the shed. He's gonna take care of some stuff. <laughs> He's like a walking foxfire manual, you know? Remember that book? So I go over to this drum building session at his house and I'm introduced to these ultra marathon runners. They are with this group, which will go nameless. But this group sponsors ceremonial, sacred runs all over the world. Relays, events where runners would travel 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 miles running, 30 miles running and transfer a rock, a sacred rock, a token or something as another runner takes off and they cover all of this distance mile after mile after mile celebrating the fact that all life is sacred. I can dig the hell out of that. But they were all smoking cigarettes, hanging out, and they just didn't look like they were ultra-marathon runners to me. So I thought it was kind of a joke at first, to be honest with you. That guy's not going to run across to Europe. You're telling me that dude ran across Japan? That guy ran across Canada? No. Right? So I started to hang out with them. They had some training runs. 25-mile runs. Let's go do one. Boy, That Australian that was smoking a cigarette at the beginning actually covered the whole 25 miles with a couple cigarette breaks in between. That elderly Indian, 63-year-old Indian, carried that staff the whole way. I struggled. Again, humbled, truly humbled by the spirit of this group fell in love passionately started dedicating a lot of things a lot of time to them started to learn more about the Native American Indian started to celebrate started to ceremonially go through a lot of sweat lodges and within a year they had started to discuss a transcontinental run a run across the United States of America However, this run was going to be not like any other one. It was going to be one runner the whole distance. It wasn't going to be relay. 
runners from all around the world. As they started to talk about this, man, I was just, this is what I wanted to do. This is it. I remember traveling as a, as a 10-year-old kid to Ventura, California, to our National Rabbit Breeders Association convention out there with my dad. And we got in the middle of Kansas driving that long road. And I asked my dad kind of like, you know, wow, dad, do you think anybody could run across the United States? He looked at me like, well, I guess if they wanted to bad enough. That was like his answer, and that's all I needed. And I always had that in my head. Long before Forrest Gump. <laughs> and there it was, my opportunity to do that with this very awesome, beautiful group celebrating such a wonderful cause. So I started to prepare for this transcontinental run. Well, that day finally came. And I had been forewarned about some of the few of the Indians that particularly didn't like white people and you can kind of reflect on maybe why but you can also reflect back on you know again all life is sacred and we're in this together and I'm digging this whole message I'm here for you and and I hopefully you're here for me traveled to Huntington Beach California showed up with my own van my own support crew I was one of only three participants that did that now you were supposed to have a van you're supposed to have a support crew you're supposed to have pay an entry fee I did all of that like only three other people did so suddenly we got 20 some odd runners with only a few support vehicles Immediately, I found myself looking like I was kidnapping people. I had just, we ran 30 miles a day. We took off from Huntington Beach, California. We ran 30 miles. We were going to do this all across the country. Within the first day, I saw some of the most blatant, ugly racism I've ever seen in my life. And it was against white people directed directly toward white people one of the runners this runner had ironically been pardoned from from uh, prison rumor tells me that he had killed a couple men and that's why he was there it's been number of days in solitary confinement if not months if not years but I certainly after that first day realized why he was there I've never seen such hate and ugliness well that was squelched down a little bit and you hope that it passed but it continued it went on every single day he was a tremendous runner he was always up in front runners can drive themselves with such ugly and rage you could just ride this step after step after step getting rid of that energy they can make for one damn good ultra marathon runner it's not the best way to live that's for sure but boy with goodness in my heart celebration of why we were there it's what gave me the energy the power to run I was always competing with this person 
we would pass each other on this lonely highway. And it was really weird because you could feel this energy. He could feel my energy coming up to him and I could tell. I would get within just maybe 10, 15, 20 feet away from him and he would just break out, take off away from me. Another three or four miles, I'd catch up to him again, always in sight. He would go to the opposite side of the highway. And once I passed this Pima Copa Indian, (laughs) he would just break down. Shout just ugly, vulgar things to me on the highway. I had a 79 year old ex grand mother in law, grandmother, who was also one of my support personnel. Innocently, she'd be sitting there out in the middle of this hot California desert sun with a some water and as he ran by he would shout ugly things at her and he had on a couple of occasions slapped the water out of her hand until she said no I'm not even going near that gentleman in fact for her safety we sent her home it was nasty racism all of the supporters most of them to this day are white if you pay attention Almost all of them were completely chased off, scared to death to hang out within this ugliness that was happening on. And you know, ultra marathon running can do a lot to your physical body and mental body. You You can have a tremendous positive, great sense of attitude toward life and all the blessings. But boy, you get out there and you start doing 30 miles a day, it can do some stuff to really chemically twist you up a little bit. And boy, you can get mean and ugly. But if you start out like that, it gets scary. We were making our way across Arizona. We were past a town called Somewhere, headed east. Somewhere, Arizona. And a couple had been celebrating their newlywed, their honeymoon by traveling on tandem bicycle across the country. And they saw our wonderful runners. Most of us carried medicine staffs. I had a beautiful one, beautiful medicine staff. was about two foot long, had a beautiful white bald eagle tail feather at the top of it, medicine pouch on it. All four colors, white, red, yellow and black celebrating all of the races all life is sacred well from the distance you see this and they fell in love with this group they wanted to hang out with us for a couple nights you know why not so they pitched their tent but unfortunately I knew all of this ugliness that was surrounded the the group already and what was happening to this event But they were all pleasant smiles. But that evening got scary. 
for this. Indian, Pimacopa County, Indian. I won't name his name. Proceeded to viciously attack with words, walking by tents, kicking them. Every name there is directed to her, the whites, calling my name out directly, circling my tent, threaten, threatening to kill me, leave me out in the mountains where no one will find me. These, these poor folks, these newlyweds on their honeymoon, who had just moments before been laying in their tent, probably grooving on this killer group that they're hanging out with, was subjected to that. You can bet your ass they were up and out of there and gone. We'd never seen them again. I'm sure it's something I'll never forget. Racism knows no color. It really doesn't. And it's out there. I guess in the peace of these woods that I have right now, I'm glad I don't live in the city. I'm glad I'm here. I feel safe here. I can take care of my family, my friends. There in the city, you're kind of on your own for the most part. That's where the gambles of moving there. But if you have a beef with the cops, fight the cops. Don't beat the shit out of an old lady, drag an old man out of his car. Don't, don't deface monuments that are dedicated to others that have served for the right for you to do such things. You know, burn the courthouse down. I don't necessarily like that place anyway. But why crash the windows out of a Segway store? Why destroy the businesses that you work for? This is where you get your merchandise. This is where you eat your food. This is your neighborhood. Protesters, you have the right. But looters, rioters, you do not have that right. So I'm strongly against that. It's going to get uglier out there before it gets any prettier. Well, this is not your normal podcast, John Graves Kayak Fishing. Maybe I kind of went off the script a little bit, but you know, this is part of my life and part of why I find peace in what I do, kayak bass fishing and the group I'm hanging out with now and where I'm at in my life. I've got a lot more stories to tell. Maybe I'll start kicking in a few more of those going into the new year about the Guardian Angels, which was just a fascinating group about my life. 11 years as a bike messenger on the city of Cincinnati. I've seen a lot of stuff. 
as a uh, person who likes to travel uh, both uh, all the way to the west coast, the east coast, and north to south. Um, love to hang out here in the woods. Um, just, I've got a lot of fun stories to tell. And so hopefully I'll start to uh, get more of those out there. And hopefully you enjoy those just as much, uh, if not more possibly, than, than my instruction when it comes to going out there and trying to find some fish in a kayak. <laughs> Well, big shout out to the Hobie Bass Open Series, which is going to be happening June 13th and 14th. So you can get signed up for that, folks. This is one of the greatest, greatest and, and events of the year when it comes to kayak bass fishing. Um, it's got some tremendous talent that head down there. It's one of the greatest fisheries on the face of the planet when it comes to largemouth spotted and a smallmouth bass so uh, sign up for that man it's just a point like 250 bucks or so which is extremely worth it a little challenging to find some places to stay down there but they do have great locations the land between the lakes areas a lot of great camping there but the uh, cell phone coverage is awful so you got to keep all that thing in you know in mind um christine fisher is going to come back for her to regain her championship uh, folks, she owns that lake, and I think that girl's going to go down there and just make it a point to catch a boatload of fish. But again, it can happen for anybody down there. So good luck to everybody. Stay safe. Big shout out to the hometown heroes, uh, Kurt Smiths and Burt Goodhouse, who I know are going to be traveling down there. Um, that's it. Another episode of John Graves Kayak Fishing. Just under 60 minutes is where I like to keep anything. That's running a little bit long for me. But thank you so much for hanging around and allow me to just sort of vent some stuff out there. Folks, stay, stay safe, man. God bless each and every one of you out there. Uh, we're going to figure this all out. This is the greatest country on the face of the planet. Let's start celebrating the good that this country has done. And I'm proud to be a veteran, and I'm proud to uh, serve and protect and to continue in my life the Constitution of the United States of America. So long, everybody. Tight lines.